Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has long been accused of winking and nodding and quietly courting radical Islamists and Jew haters in Canada. He took that to a whole new level on Tuesday when he scolded Israel sternly, sternly accusing our ally of doing the things that Hamas is guilty of. Trudeau is an embarrassment, a fool, and now he's firmly come out on Hamas's side of the conflict. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. It is great to be back on air at True North doing the Candace Malcolm show after a bit of hiatus while my family and I welcomed our third baby last summer. And now I try to balance my time between being a stay-at-home mom and also being a journalist and the founder, the editor-in-chief here at True North. I appreciate all the kind messages and words of support that you've given me over the past few months. And I really hope that you have been enjoying our True North content while I was away as much as I have. If you're watching this video on YouTube or Rumble, please like this video, subscribe to True North, and make sure to turn on notifications so you don't miss any of our videos. If you're watching on Facebook, despite uh, the C18 van, if you're able to still see this, please make sure you like our True North page, drop us a comment, and share this video. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the podcast, and to subscribe to The Candace Malcolm Show so you don't miss any of our content. Finally, to everyone listening, everyone watching, please head on over to our website, www.tnc.news, where you can read our latest reports. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so that Bill C-18 and the big tech censorship cannot stop you from learning the truth. Thank you so much. Today on the program, we're going to talk about Justin Trudeau, his foolhardy lecture to Israel and how Israel has responded. Later in the program, I'll be joined by my colleague Harrison Faulkner to talk about his reporting on the Israel conflict and the truth. We're going to discuss the truth about the government-funded anti-hate network in Canada. So Justin Trudeau has been walking a fine line since the start of the war in Israel on October 7th. You will remember that a few weeks ago, he blamed Israel for bombing a hospital, even though Canada's own intelligence showed that that was a rocket that was misfired by a Palestinian terrorist group, and that it actually hit the parking lot. It didn't hit the hospital. The hospital remains intact and relatively unscathed. As acts of violence against Jewish Canadians increased to alarming levels, with synagogues being firebombed, shots being fired at Jewish elementary schools, Jews being beat up at protests, intimidated at universities, threatened across the country, having their businesses harassed and protested and boycotted. Justin Trudeau throughout this all has played the moral equivalence game. Every time he condemns anti-Semitism, he makes sure to also equally condemn so-called Islamophobia and all forms of hate. He can't really bring himself to just calling out the evils of anti-Semitism. He's been seen groveling to supporters at pro-Hamas mosques. He's been having private closed meetings with Palestinian activists, and his completely incompetent sidekick, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie. I have no idea how she found herself in that role, but there she is. She actually said out loud that she looks forward to negotiations between Israel and Hamas. Yes, Jolie said that she hoped for a detente and even more negotiations where she imagined a negotiating table with the Israelis, with Hamas, and with Qatar present. So, I guess, according to our foreign affairs minister, Israel's supposed to sit down with the evil, sadistic terrorists who gleefully massacred entire villages in the most barbaric ways imaginable, who have kidnapped and continue to hold hundreds of civilian hostages, including children and little kids and babies in unknown conditions, and a group that calls for the genocide against the Jews and a holy war at every opportunity. 
Israel's supposed to actually sit down and negotiate with these people. Imagine how ignorant and uninformed you have to be to call for Hamas to have a seat at any future negotiations. Well, that's what we're dealing with. That's who Justin Trudeau has empowered to hold the position of Canada's top diplomat. Meanwhile, 23 Liberal MPs signed a letter demanding a ceasefire. Now, it's worth noting, as I did in a recent True North column, that there was a ceasefire in place. There was a ceasefire there on October 6th in the morning of October 7th. Hamas broke that ceasefire, and it promises to do so again. That means that any future hypothetical ceasefire only really applies to Israel, since we know that Hamas will not adhere to one. So calling for a ceasefire is de facto support for Hamas. It lets them off the hook. It rewards them for hiding behind civilians and below civilians in Gaza, which, by the way, is a war crime. And it lets things go back to exactly the way they were before the massacre on October 7th. So Trudeau has been talking out of both sides of his mouth, and he's quietly been winking and nodding at the pro-Hamas side. Or at least he was until yesterday, Tuesday, November 14th, when Trudeau dropped the mask and came out firmly on the side of Hamas. Trudeau stood up at the podium and shamelessly parroted Hamas's talking points. He accused Israel of doing all the things that Hamas does, targeting civilians, murdering children and babies, and failing to use restraint. Here is that clip. The human tragedy that is unfolding in Gaza is heart-wrenching, especially the suffering we see in and around the Al-Shifa hospital. I have been clear that the price of justice cannot be the continued suffering of all Palestinian civilians. Even wars have rules. All innocent life is equal in worth, Israeli and Palestinian. I urge the government of Israel to exercise maximum restraint. As the world is watching on TV, on social media, we're hearing the testimonies of doctors, family members, survivors, kids who've lost their parents. The world is witnessing this, the killing of women and children, of babies. This has to stop. Trudeau is an actor through and through, always with the dramatic pauses and the consternation in his voice. He's just so inauthentic. It's unbelievable when he says, this has to stop, as if he's talking to a belligerent child instead of one of our democratic allies. So as I wrote on X, I think that Trudeau is completely irrelevant on the world stage and that he should probably be ignored. He deserves to be anyway. But I stand corrected. I thought he would be ignored. As usual, he usually is ignored when he does these kind of things. But this time, he wasn't. Instead, Trudeau became the punching bag for far more serious leaders who know a thing or two about the difference between Hamas and Israel. So first off, we see Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, quickly responded to Justin Trudeau on X. He wrote this, Justin Trudeau, it is not Israel that is deliberately targeting civilians, but Hamas that beheaded, burned, and massacred civilians in the worst horrors perpetrated on Jews since the Holocaust. While Israel is doing everything to keep civilians out of harm's way, Hamas is doing everything to keep them in harm's way. Israel provides civilians in Gaza humanitarian corridors and safe zones. Hamas prevents them from leaving at gunpoint. 
It is Hamas, not Israel, that should be held accountable for committing a double war crime, targeting civilians while also hiding behind civilians. The forces of civilization must back Israel in defeating Hamas's barbarism. It wasn't just Benjamin Netanyahu, Yair Lapid, who is the leader of the opposition in Israel. This is a centrist party. He also responded to Trudeau. He wrote this, Hamas launched this war. Hamas hides in civilian buildings, and Hamas abuses Gazans as human shields. If Canada ever found itself under a sustained and brutal attack like the one we now face, you would find Israel by your side. We expect the same. Quite the talking down, quite the embarrassment for Justin Trudeau. Many others jumped in with useful comments. Here's Marco Navarro Gini, who is a professor and author. He wrote this. Someone please get community note checks on this ignorant man. He asks, did Hamas use minimal restraint on October 7th? Is Israel deliberately targeting civilians and babies? Is Israel blocking civilians from leaving a theater of conflict? Is the IDF hiding in ambulances and underneath hospitals? Is Israel rounding up Arab civilians to use as human shields and barking chips? Are the attacks against Jews in Canada motivated by Islamophobia? Next, we have the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs that wrote this. The blood of dead babies, Israeli and Palestinians, is on Hamas. Rhetoric like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's today enables Hamas to continue to cynically and criminally use the Palestinian civilian population as human shields to advance its genocidal goal. And while surely not his intent, such assertions also fuel anti-Semitism at home here in Canada. David Frum, who is a political commenter, also wrote, Justin Trudeau's public reprimand of Israel tonight will have zero effect on the region. He must know that. In Canada, however, his words will be heard as permission by those harassing Jews. He should know that too. He is risking Jewish safety to cushion the drop in the polls. That's such a good point. And I'll just finish on this note. What should we make of all this? What should we make of Justin Trudeau and his decision to basically take the side of Hamas or at least uh, parrot Hamas's talking points in, in his remarks on Tuesday. Well, I wrote about this in a column for True North this week called, Can We Finally Have a Discussion About Canadian Values? And here was what I wrote. Justin Trudeau is beholden to the extreme left and Canada's growing Muslim population. Most Muslims in Canada oppose terrorism and loathe groups like Hamas. Many of them, after all, are here in Canada because of the destabilizing forces of radical Islamists and jihadist movements in the Middle East and North Africa. But among Canada's 1.7 million Muslims, approximately half a million of which came to Canada under Trudeau's immigration policies, there are a noisy, powerful few who subscribe to an extremist religious ideology and have brought their hatred of Israel and the Jews with them to Canada. Trudeau, it seems, doesn't want to risk offending them by showing too much support for Israel. This is just Justin Trudeau's latest moral failing. It seems the man is not capable of uniting Canadians and bringing out the better nature of newcomers who are holding on to tribal feuds from faraway lands. Trudeau is unwilling and unable to articulate Canadian values. In fact, he infamously told the New York Times Magazine that Canada was the first post-national state and that there was no uniting culture and no mainstream. Trudeau doesn't really seem to believe in anything like Canadian values. Well, Trudeau is wrong about Canada. He was wrong to scold Israel for doing the things that Hamas does. Justin Trudeau needs to stop playing with fire, stop catering to the most extreme radicals in our society, and stop embarrassing Canada by using Hamas's talking points. Now, I'm excited to be joined by my next guest. I'm going to bring in True North's Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Candice, and welcome back to True North. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it's fitting that you're my first guest, my first show back after doing maternity leave because you and I were on the show together when I announced that it was my last show before going on leave. And I just want to tell the audience a quick little story. So Harrison started out at our network as I think an intern. Is that right, Harrison? Yeah, that's right. Right at the right at the bottom as an intern. <laughs> yeah, so he started out as an intern, just fresh out of university. He got promoted to become a producer here on my show, and so he was helping out with the Candice Malcolm show. We obviously spotted some talent, and we had you on as a, first as a guest, and then eventually as a co-host of Fake News Fridays here at the Candice Malcolm show. And then when we were talking about what we were going to do when I went on maternity leave and how we were going to fill up some content, uh, we decided to, to give you your own show. And Harrison, you've just really knocked it out of the park. It's been so tremendous to see your growth over the past few years and to see how popular your show is, how much you're connecting with the audience and how good you are at reporting and doing commentary and putting it all out in podcast form. So I just wanted to let you know how proud I am and congratulate you uh, for all your success here at True North. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. It's never, uh, there's never been a dull moment since I've started this show. We keep getting material to talk about. So it's not been the most difficult task, but it's really been a lot of fun. Well, we're really lucky to have you. Now, I want to talk about some reporting that you've done recently. You were invited to see a private briefing at the Israeli consulate in Toronto. You uh, had to view some pretty gruesome footage uh, from GoPros and cell phone videos and really a snuff film of of the massacre that happened on October 7th. So I want you to, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about the briefing. How did you get invited? Uh, what, What was it like? Who else was there? Tell us a little bit about that day. Yeah, so uh, this was this was all organized by the Israeli consulate in Toronto. Um, they had reached out to True North to uh, bring some of our journalists to see this footage, to see this film, and to be a part of a press briefing led by the consul general and as well an unnamed senior IDF official who spoke on the condition of remaining anonymous. Um, you know, I was one of, I would say... 20 or so journalists. Now, not everybody in that room was a journalist. Uh, there were some members of, of the, I would, I would consider them to be sort of the political uh, strategy people, um, PR people involved, and they were friends of the consulate, but there was a small group of us. Uh, heavy security, as you can imagine. We go through this room and we get, we get sort of the briefing before the briefing, which is basically no recording devices, no phones, you have to leave everything in a locker, and when you get in there, all you can bring is a notebook and a, pe- and a pen, and um, from that point on, really, we, we take our seats, and, you know, there were journalists from the Toronto Star, from CB24, TVO, really, there was a lot of, a lot of the legacy media journalists, notably, Candace, there was nobody from CBC at this, uh, at this briefing, which I think is, is, you know, surprising, but not too surprising when you see their coverage over these uh, protests and what's been going on in Israel. We sit down, they give us a briefing, give us some details about what, what's going on on the ground, what the consulate's response have, has been to the protests we've seen, these really vile protests and what's what we've been heard being yelled at on our streets. Then the IDF official gives us a briefing about the operation in Gaza, what's been going on, and then they just lead us right into this film. And we can get into some of the contents of the film if you'd like. Well, sure. Why don't you just continue? Let it let let us know what you saw and yeah. what it was like. Yeah. So as I've written, it's really gruesome, gruesome footage. It's 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 basically what you could imagine, but even worse because it's ha- it's playing out right in front of your eyes. Uh, the film begins basically with the scene of of these Hamas terrorists on these roads, 
And anybody who's driving past these terrorists on these roads that have just broken into southern Israel is executed on the spot. They're, they're dragged out of their cars. And each time a person is executed, you can hear the chants of Allahu Akbar. And there's a real celebration, a celebratory mood at each time an Israeli civilian is murdered in cold blood. That's just the first 30 seconds or so. Then there are, there are some footage, there's some footage that a lot of people have likely seen on social media. It's that footage of those two Hamas terrorists breaking into a kibbutz. They enter up, they, they walk up to the front gate. They're waiting at the gate after they've killed the security guard who stands at the post of, of, of the gate. Then they just wait for a, for the unfortunate person who's just driving to his house that morning, just driving into his kibbutz. That person is of course killed like the other people who were killed at the beginning of the film. Then they break in and it's just mayhem. You, you basically see an entire neighborhood get slaughtered. Again, all of it is filmed. All of it is celebrated as if it's some great accomplishment. You know, I wrote this part in my, in my, uh, opinion piece about it. Of all the gruesome, grisly footage I saw, the part that I haven't been able to get out of my head is this footage from inside a home. It's of a father who is desperately trying to save his two sons' lives. These are two little kids. And they're obviously woken up in the morning and he rushes to grab them. And they're, you know, trying to just find any place they can get shelter. It looks as though they have some sort of shelter or bomb shelter in their backyard. I'm guessing that's just the kind of that's the kind of situation that these people have to live in every day. They have bomb shelters in their backyards. This father grabs his two kids and rushes into the back, rushes into their shelter in their backyard. And a Hamas terrorist spots them, walks up and throws a grenade into the shelter. And all you see are these two kids run out and the decapitated body of the father who absorbed the blast to save his two children. Um, then you see these Hamas terrorists enter the home and just eat the food and drink the drink, drink what's in the fridge of this man they've just killed in front of these two kids. These two kids are watching these terrorists in their kitchen, eating their food after they've just killed his father. Um, you then see this, you, you then see the, the mother who was, thank God for her, for her safety away from the kibbutz at this time. She comes back with IDF soldiers to see what's happened to her husband. Um, and we don't know what's happened to the kids that, that they don't show you that in the film. All of that, Candace is just the first five minutes. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable that everything was filmed. Everything was celebrated. It was obviously not just filmed for promotion, uh, uh, for Hamas promotional material, but for these people's own, for their own enjoyment, which is just so sick. It, it just, it gets worse after that, but Really, it's that opening scene of the desperation of a father trying to save his own children and sacrificing his life to do so that I, can't, I haven't been able to get out of my head. Um, other people have seen this film. Journalists all over the world in these private closed-door screenings have seen the rest of the film. And some of the footage I've noticed has been trickling out onto social media. As I wrote in my opinion piece, I think, although that's horrible and it's difficult for people to see, it's really what needs to happen. The world needs to see what these people did. If, if there's going to ever really be, I think, I think a, a true understanding of what happened on, on October 7th. The reality is people don't, a lot of people as we see in our streets and in, in this country, either don't believe what we're told about October 7th, 
don't believe it's as bad as, as, as the media has made it out to be. And at worst, think that it didn't actually happen. And that's just the world we live in. There, people, people need to see the evidence in front of their own eyes. They can't just accept the word of, of handpicked journalists, as I wrote. The evidence needs to be there, so it's indisputable. The facts are the facts, and the footage is there for everyone to see. That, unfortunately, is the world we live in, but I think that's the only opportunity and the only thing Israel can do, in my opinion, to firmly solidify their position on the high ground, which it's incredible, it's up for debate, but as you discussed earlier with Justin Trudeau, it, it, it's, the, it's the truth. Israel, Israel for, for whatever reason, the, the, the West doesn't seem to be taking Israel at, at the, Israel's word. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's almost like we're all watching something a different uh, play out when I listen to Justin Trudeau and hear his words uh, scolding Israel, you know, basically accusing them of doing all the things that we know that Hamas is doing. It's like it's like it's a different universe. And I, I commend you for sitting through that film. I, I know I wouldn't be able to. You talk about how those images keep you up at night. You know, I force myself to watch pieces here and there you know as a journalist you, you kind of have to in some ways it's your obligation even I remember when ISIS was carrying out its its gruesome attacks and I would read the details and I would watch those videos not because I wanted to I really don't want to but I think you're right it's important to, to see it to bear witness to the truth and what happened and, and, and those images get burnt into your eyelids I mean I've got three little kids and you know the idea of it does keep me up at night uh, how those families felt in that moment of terror and and most of them didn't make it out, and, and it, it's horrific. And, you know, it's all the backstory to the conflict right now. Uh, just to push back a, a little bit, ever so slightly, you know, people are denying the events in real time, even though there is evidence out there, even though it it has been confirmed, and, and you know, the IDF and the Israelis have, have done as much as they can uh, to try to convince the public there's always going to be people out there on social media saying that it's fake, saying that it's a psychop, saying that... Uh, you know, maybe these are these are crisis actors, or or maybe it was produced, you know, in a, in a studio or something like that. I think even if they do release the videos, uh, they'll they'll still be hateful people who you know, don't don't want to believe it, refuse to believe it, convince themselves it's not true. And all that you're really doing at that point is is just violating uh, what very little privacy some of these families have left um, and, and, and again, disgracing uh, the sanctity of the life that was taken. Uh, so what's, what's your response to that? Well, I think you, you raise a good point that ultimately there are always going to be people who will refuse to believe even what's in front of their own eyes. Even if they have evidence right in front of them, they either won't believe it. And that will, that, that will be the case for a number of reasons. I think there is, as we've all seen, clearly amongst the people that are protesting against Israel, there is a large amount of just general anti-Semitism involved here. There is, this, there is this hatred that we're seeing, which is clouding everyone's judgment. I think, however... I, I don't want to just immediately assume that those who believe Israel is somehow in the wrong here are all would, would all think the same if they saw the footage that I saw. I think there is still a level of humanity among a number of people. That being said, of course, there are, there are people that will never accept what, what is in front of them. And that's just a reality we have to, I think, accept in society. But I do believe that if this footage was out there, a lot of people would change their minds. I think that there is there's so much... There's so much that when you watch this footage that really tests your, your boundaries of what you think humans are capable of, the way that these people celebrate their actions, that leaves you, leaves you realizing just how bad these people really are. And, just what, and, and the real situation Israel faces on a day-to-day -day basis. These people live, in some cases, in, very close to their country. 
Um, they, they attack their country all the time. These people are constantly under attack by a group of people who take pride and celebration in the, in the barbarity of their actions. That is the part that I think will really test people's, people's limits and make them, make them question whether or not what they're hearing, all the negativity that they're hearing about Israel, whether or not it's actually legitimate if they see this footage. So you're right. There are people that won't change their mind, but I don't think that's everybody. And I think that there are a number of people who will say, yeah, you know what? I, I really don't think I'm that comfortable protesting for Palestine when these are the people at the front line of that protest. Uh, maybe, maybe I'd be mistaken, but I do have enough, I do have some faith in humanity that a number of people would really question their stance if they saw this footage. All right, let's move on, Harrison. I want to discuss with you uh, an organization in Canada that you and I are both familiar with, the so-called Anti-Hate Network in Canada. So, you know, this story really is fit for Fake News Friday. Maybe we should bring back Fake News Friday just to talk about this. But look, uh, for years, the legacy media has quoted and run stories based on this group's reports. Uh, but all of that has really been undermined in recent weeks. So, you know, you think that the Anti-Hate Network, true to its name, would start in, in the wake of everything that we've seen over the past few weeks. It would really start focusing on the immense hatred uh, that we see at the pro-Palestinian rallies, uh, really just pro-Hamas rallies. Uh, we see hateful slogans. We see hateful speeches. We ha see hateful messages on signs and hateful people bullying Jewish businesses, attacking Jewish people. So you would expect a group called the Anti-Hate Network to be, you know, front and center condemning all of this. But instead, there was radio silence from this group. We didn't hear anything anything uh, from this group other than there was one uh, blog post that I saw posted that was trying to blame this all on some obscure far-right individual, even though everyone knows that it's it's woke leftists and Islamists that are marching uh, at these rallies. But then we had Bernie Farber, who is one of the founders of this organization. He, he went on social media. So Ariella Kimmel, who is a Jewish uh, activist, she, she wrote this on, on X. She wrote, it's been a month since the terrorist attacks on Israelis. This is the first post from the Anti-Hate Network since. I know your views because I've grown up knowing you, but it's not just me calling this out. Uh, in response, Bernie Farber, you know, in fairness, uh, in credit to him, he actually responded to her. I, I think it's probably a strategic mistake on his behalf. But anyway, he wrote, Ariella, antihate.ca focuses on the extreme right. That is what it does. I wish we had the resources to do more. We don't. So this organization gets grants and funding from the Trudeau government, from the federal government. And never once, Harrison, have I ever heard them say that their mandate is only to focus on one side, to only look at the political right. They never mention that. It's nowhere on their website. Journalists who cover their stories and quote them all the time never mention this. So really, I mean, how can, how can anyone take this group seriously anymore? They're not the anti-hate network. They're the anti-conservative network. What do you make of all this? Well, I just have to begin by saying it's a shocking, uh, shocking display of honesty coming from Bernie Farber to be so upfront and just to tell us the truth that actually, yeah, they're, they're only interested in the far right. And really, they're not just interested in the far right, as you say, quite right, uh, Candace. It's the anti-conservative network always has been. Now, when it comes to documenting all of the hate that we've seen at these pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine protests, of which there is plenty of evidence whether it be the actual display of Hamas flags that happens all the time at these protests or the anti-Semitic chants, the genocidal chants you hear, it would be an amazing opportunity for anti-hate. They, 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 could, they could write stories every day for the next month. They'd have all this content, but they haven't really written anything about it. They've tried this all the time. Now, it's worth mentioning when it comes to anti-hate as well that 
Canada's special envoy to combating Islamophobia or whatever, that might be, that's probably her title, something along those lines. Anyway, the, the anti-Islamophobia government appointee by Justin Trudeau happens to be a woman named Amira El-Gawabi. Now, Amira El-Gawabi also happened to be a founding board member of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. So I'm not sure it's that surprising that we haven't seen any condemnation of the hate at these hate marches that have happened all across the country. This organization is not at all interested in, in, in displaying and calling hate out because all they're really interested in doing, as you've said, is calling out conservatives. It's it's so true because, it, you know, it's, it's like the entire thing is created to benefit the Trudeau liberals, to make conservatives seem scary and fringe and try to connect them with obscure individuals. They try to really just demonize conservatives for being conservatives. I remember Harrison, they've actually targeted you in the past. Uh, I remember some idiotic piece coming out while the, the journalist contacted me and asking if I wanted to comment. And I looked into it a little bit. It was like some weird guilt by association story trying to link you with someone who was part of the same student group that you had previously led at Ryerson University. It was just a, it was a hit piece, but it was so poorly done. It was so pathetic. Uh, I didn't even bother commenting on it. it. It was probably read by a few dozen people. It really just showed me that the organization is just very amateur and very ineffectual. But, uh, you know, in light of in light of this news, uh, what do you make uh, of that in retrospect that, that, that them trying to target you and write about you? Well, it's funny. I haven't I haven't really changed my opinion too much on their attempts all that time ago to try and cancel me because it just, it, it, it's been the same playbook that they've employed for the past few years, which is anyone who is making some noise on, a ca on campus, anyone who seems to be effective at pushing back against what is clearly this, this very progressive, very far left agenda that we're seeing from the people at Anti-Hate Network or the people involved in the federal government, anyone who's effective at that is going to eventually find themselves the victim of some sort of Canadian Anti-Hate Network hit piece. Nothing has ever come from it, which I find funny because I'm sure that when they wrote it, Candace, they assumed, oh, this was going to be the end. I was going to get fired or, or I was never going to get a job again. It doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, nothing has ever come from it. And as you point out, I can't imagine more than 50 people at most have ever read the piece. Now, this is probably better promotion for them than they'll, than they'll ever have. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the point to call out. It's also worth mentioning. This group gets, this group has gotten federal funding, federal taxpayer funding part of, as part of the anti-racism action program. They have to put it on the bottom of their website. If that is not an, if that is not an admission that they are simply just carrying out the, the, the stated goals of the federal government to, to attack conservatives, then I don't know what is. Well, it, it really shows how the left has weaponized certain words. We know that the term Islamophobia uh, was actually invented by the Iranians in the 1970s uh, as a way to silence dissent, as a way to shame people who criticize Islam or Islamic groups. Um, I, I think that the, the same can be said about this word hate. Uh, just just today on social media, I saw an NDP MP calling out Pierre Polyev for supposedly hateful, homophobic, and transphobic comments. What were those comments? Uh, Pierre Polyev condemned gender ideology being imposed onto little kids. So so somehow it's hateful to oppose a radical leftist woke ideology designed to try to confuse children. Condemning that is now hateful. You know, the, every time I hear someone accuse someone else of hate in politics, uh, I'm going to think about the anti-hate network and have a little chuckle because it, it's just all been uh, shown to be just a fraud and a hoax and uh, basically a giant grift over there. Well, Harrison, I, I really appreciate 
appreciate your time. I appreciate you uh, joining us on the show. Uh, it's great to have you on. And to the audience, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. We'll be back once a week now with the Candace Malcolm Show. Thank you so much for tuning in.